several months ago as I was praying about this time of the year and uh, especially praying about this series that we're in right now where we're talking about what is a healthy church and you know, next week we'll, we'll finish that up and continue that next week. Uh, I felt led in my spirit to call, call one of our elders, uh, Jim Britton, and ask him to come and share a message with all of you today. And he's been gracious enough to accept that. Jim's been a, a member of our church for over 40 years, uh, faithful around here. He's worked his way through various ministries and various places and presently serves as one of our elders on our eldership team. And I want to tell you that one of the things that makes a church healthy is how leaders act. And the way Jim acts, the way our leaders act, uh, really bring health to our church. One of the things I love about Jim in particular, and one of the things I love about all of our elders as a group, is nobody has this driving desire to be right. They have a driving desire to do what God thinks is right. And so they can put an idea on the table, they can make a suggestion, and if something comes up that seems to be a better idea, seems to be a more righteous direction, everybody's willing to give in and follow the righteous direction. And that's a great thing that nobody's pride is connected. Jim demonstrates that in his life and his actions and his leadership in those places. Our men on, on, those, on, those, uh, on the eldership team do that. And I'm just grateful today to give him a, an opportunity as my friend, as a co-laborer in this church, uh, to come and share with you as a layman his experience in the kingdom of God and how it can bless you. Will you welcome today Jim Britton as he comes to share with us. Jim. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's a beautiful day. I love the choir song, God, how great you are, great things you've done. And it's my privilege to come, my pleasure to come, um, to come truly humbly uh, because I'm, I'm just not worthy. God's worthy. And uh, it's my prayer, it's been my prayer, and it is my prayer now that God would give me the words that I would speak that it would be his message for you to hear, and that it would point to his greatness, his goodness, nothing about me, all about him and his truth and what he's enabled me to learn that I'm going to share with you now. Now, the, the title of this message is Three Keys to Financial Freedom. Three Keys to Financial Freedom. Um, and, uh, you know, financial freedom, that does not necessarily mean plenty of money. It means freedom from the stress, from the strain, from the fears around money. And, uh, and so I'm going to start and tell you about my life when I was a teenager. That was just about five years ago. <laughs> I, uh, it seems like. But when I was a, a young teenager, there were two things I wanted. I wanted a driver's license so I could drive, and I wanted a real job with a schedule where I could earn my own money and have my own money. I don't know why that was so important to me, but it really was. And so when I turned 16 on that very day, my father drove me down 
I took the test, I passed the test, I got my driver's license. Then I got in the driver's side of the car, my dad in the passenger side, and we drove to a new, newly opened service station, gas station. And I applied for a job, dad stayed in the car, I got that job. My schedule, I worked, it was October, I was in school, uh, my schedule was three nights a week. Three nights a week, I would go, I would get home, uh, borrow my mother's car, hurry in to make sure I wasn't late because you can't be late and succeed in your work. And I'd get there by 4.30, I'd work till 9, sometimes till 11, three nights a week, and then Saturday or Sunday. And uh, back then, when you, when you needed gas, you'd pull into a station and you would come up to the pumps and you would not pump the gas. It was illegal. Uh, there, was, there was a little cable across where you drove in and it would ring a bell inside the station and an attendant would walk out and pump your gas for you. That's how it worked. And so that's, that was my, I worked there, and, and there was a new manager, and he said, listen, listen. He taught me a lot about customer service and about hard work. And he said, listen, I don't want you walking out to those cars. I want you running out to those cars. I want you to get there before the wheels have stopped turning on that car. I want you to get to that driver's side window and, I, and, and you know, fill her up. And so I did. That's what I did. And I ran out there, get to the driver, and I'd scare the driver. <laughs> Whoa, where'd you come from? You know, fill her up. Uh, okay. And so then I'd pump the gas, and while I pumped the gas, or while the gas was pumping, we'd wash the windshield, wash the windows. If they wanted us to, we'd check the air in the tires. We would check the oil. It was a full-service experience. And as they left, hey, thanks for coming in. That's what we did. And then when there weren't cars to, to pump gas for, we would be in one of the bays, and we would be changing oil, uh, repairing tires, rotating tires, and they had one bay that was strictly for car washes. And we would, I would hand-wash cars, and I'd hand-wax cars. And it was fun. It was hard work, but it was good, and I had my own money. And uh, that was October, and so then came November and December and January. Anybody know what it's like here in January? <sighs> I'd be in there washing a car. Feet wet, hands wet, clothes wet. The bell would ring. Oh! <sighs> I'd put the smile on my face. I would zip out there as quick as I could, fill her up and serve that customer like I was supposed to. I learned that from that manager. He taught me the first key to financial freedom. First key is work hard. Do good work. Be good at what you do. Be a good employee. I learned that at that early age and continued to learn it the rest of my life. So there was one other thing I wanted as a 16-year-old boy, man, boy, there was one other thing I wanted. Anybody got an idea of what it might have been? A car? No, no, no. I could borrow my mother's car, and I worked hard for my money. I wasn't going to spend money on a car. No. There was something else. A girlfriend. Yes. Oh. And I was the most shy guy, especially around girls. I mean, terribly shy. And so it was World Series time. I uh, went to school at Pleasant Plains High School. World Series time, they would allow us at study hall to come into the gymnasium. It was an old, small gymnasium, and they had a television on the gym floor on a stand, and we'd sit in the bleachers, and so I was sitting there watching the World Series. Here she came, walking in the door. She caught my eye. 
she walked and she sat down right in front of me, maybe two rows, three rows down. It kind of blocked my view, but you know, I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care. And I said, wow, that's the kind of girl I'd like to have as a girlfriend. And, and I knew who she was. I knew who she was, you see, because uh, she was Dave Ferguson's sister. And Dave Ferguson is right back there. Wave, Dave. Dave and I, we were the same grade in school. She was his sister one year younger than us. So I knew, I knew who she was. In fact, it's amazing. That was 52 years ago. And I still know who she is. <laughs> Carol, would you stand? This is her. Yeah. Uh, you can keep standing. Keep standing, yes. <laughs> she was, I'll tell you what. She was outgoing, bubbly, fun to be with, all those things I wasn't. And I was really attracted to her. And you know what? She is still that doll. And so, so shy as I was, I finally, finally got the courage, worked up the nerve, finally got the nerve to ask, to ask. I, I asked her brother, Dave, do you think she would go out with me? Yeah, and, and he said, well, I don't know, I can, we'll check. And so he worked it out, and we started double dating. We double dated for a while, and then we started single dating. And, and there were two things that we would do on dates. We would go to the movies, and then we'd get something to eat. And there was one place, Top's Big Boy, it's no, it, was on, it was on 5th and uh, South Grand. It's no longer there, and it was a little expensive. And, you know, I worked hard for my money. <laughs> and so I convinced her that we'd go to that other place that the kids that teenagers went to, and that was, yes, McDonald's on South 5th Street. It's no longer there either. And so we would go to McDonald's, and, and she, she was good. She knew I worked hard for my money, and I'd buy her one hamburger. I'd buy me one hamburger, the regular hamburgers. And then we would share a bag of fries. The regular fry, that was like a kitty fry today. That's what we would get. We would share it, you know. And then, and then I convinced her that, you know, this would be a good deal. It's a better value if we get a medium-sized Coke and two straws. Yeah, there were a lot of benefits to that uh, when we drink. And, uh, and so then we, I would take her home and, uh, and I'd drop her off. And as I drove home, <laughs> I would uh, add up how much I'd spent. And I would, uh, and I would say, okay, $1.25 an hour is what I got paid at the station. How many hours did I have to work to pay for that evening? And was that a good deal or not? I was, I was truly a generous, romantic guy. I went away to college my sophomore year. <laughs> she lost her mind. She agreed to marry me. We married my sophomore year of college. We had our first child, our first son, the first of three, uh, when, we were, when I was a junior. We lived in married housing. I would, because of those decisions we made, I would work, uh, go to school full-time, work a job, sometimes two jobs. We lived in married housing. She worked babysitting and caring for our newborn. We, we worked hard for our money. And, uh, but I was still that generous, romantic guy because we went, we went out every single week. Every single Saturday, we went out. Saturday morning to the grocery store. We went out. <laughs> and it was, uh, we'd spend our $25. That's all we could spend. And, uh, 
and get our groceries. But, but really, I was, I was a romantic. I, we, we would go to, we'd go out to eat too on Saturday. After the grocery store, we would go to a fine restaurant. I knew, I knew she liked it. It was a fine resta- restaurant. It was McDonald's. And, <laughs> and the three of us, and Jimmy and she and I would sit there and, and uh, we didn't drink coffee at the time, but Cokes, soft drinks were too expensive, so we'd have water. And that's how we operated. My senior year of college, Carol's father, Dave's father, Hugh Ferguson, Fergie, many of you know him here. He's been a member of our church for many, many years. He and his wife, Pat, they owned and operated two Angelo's Pizza restaurants, one on Stevenson Drive, one on West Jefferson Street in front of what's of Calvary Academy. Uh, and, uh, and he approached me halfway through my senior year, approached us, said, uh, you know, I don't want to operate two restaurants anymore. Uh, would you be interested? I know you're getting close to graduating. Would you be interested in buying our Stevenson Drive restaurant? And I knew they'd done pretty well. So, yeah, there's one problem. We have no money. He said, no problem. We'll work something out. So, we moved to Springfield. I had two classes at Western Illinois in Macomb. I drove three mornings a week, got there by 8 in the morning, got done with my second class by 10, made it back by 11.45 to work lunch, work the afternoon, the evening, and I closed up most every night at 11, except on the weekends it was 1 o'clock. We, we both worked in that restaurant. We worked hard for our money. And it worked out well. They were generous enough to sell that restaurant to us on a contract. All we had to do was make the payments, which we did. Four years later, I, I, if one restaurant's good, two must be better. And so I approached Angelo, the founder of that company, and, and the president, and, and about, a, is there another location we could get? And he, and he had a better idea. And as we talked about his better idea, I decided it was a better idea, too. I would sell our restaurant, it was a profitable restaurant, to his company, and I would own 14%. We would own 14% of his company, Angelo's Italian Restaurants of Illinois. And uh, I'd go to work for that company, and I got a company car. I liked to drive, you know, and, uh, and uh, had a salary. Uh, I, I was so smart, my negotiation was really good. I, the salary I agreed to was literally, I found out, I realized a little too late, that it was half, literally half what I had made the last year we owned that restaurant. But it was okay. We owned 14% of this bigger company, and we'd make it up there. And so uh, I was working. And it's about that time uh, we, we had our, got our first credit card. We began to learn the second key to financial freedom. Got our first credit card. And, and uh, you know, we're having to be careful because the income had changed. And... and uh, uh, it was okay for a couple of months. Then one month, we couldn't pay the bill. We didn't have the money to pay the bill. Now, the credit card company didn't care. But, I, but we looked, Carol and I talked, and I said, well, wait a minute. Do you realize what we just did? We spent money this month that we don't have. <laughs> you can't spend money you don't have and expect to get ahead financially. It's just, you just can't. And that's, that's the second key to financial freedom. Don't spend money you don't have live within your means, adjust your living so that you don't spend more than you make. 
And so we, we agreed we're never going to do that again. And we didn't use that card anymore until we got it paid off. And then we never spent more than what we could pay at the end of the year. She, a great blessing, led the way in those good decisions. I was miserable in my work. What I thought was going to be so great, I was an executive. I was traveling, opening restaurants uh, across the state, out of town a lot, away from home a lot. She was home with now two children, uh, focused on the family as she should be. I was out there focused on trying to get this business bigger and better so we could earn some extra money. And uh, it was about that time we began attending Calvary Church, 1977. And uh, Carol was expecting our third son. And uh, I really, really, really enjoyed the preaching at Calvary Church, M.C. Johnson, and, uh, because I was really struggling. I was unhappy, uh, didn't have much money, uh, and he, he preached from the Word. And here's some examples of the Scriptures I remember in you know, Matthew 7, 7, 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. I was asking. I was knocking. I was seeking. And I was gaining a little bit of hope based upon these verses and his preaching. And then Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He will meet our needs. But, oh, there's a condition there. I'm supposed to seek first his kingdom. And I began to realize I'm not, I've been seeking getting this restaurant thing going. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. Gee, that, so I'm supposed to find my delight in the Lord, in my relationship with God. You know, Jesus, when asked what's the greatest commandment, said, love the Lord your God. Dan said it this morning, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hmm. I'm supposed to love the Lord more than the stuff I'm trying to get. And then uh, Matthew 6, 19, 21, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm supposed to love God more than my stuff, more than the things of this life. Hmm. I, it was as if M.C. Johnson didn't realize I had worked hard for my money. And, uh, and this is indicating I'm supposed to give some of my hard-earned money to the church. 2 Corinthians 6 Eight, uh, nine, verse, chapter 9, verses 6 and 8. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, wait a minute. I'm not only supposed to give of my hard-earned money. I'm supposed to give generously and like it I'm struggling with this. Now, some of you might have at times felt like I felt. 
it was, I'm going, wait a minute. And, and it was uh, distressing, a little troubling. I, I, if I wasn't careful, I could become a little angry because it seemed like he talked a lot about money, my money. And, uh, and you may be, some of you might be feeling the way I, that way right now. I don't know. But I want you to know, I understand because I was there. I was there. But the second part of this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, the special word is need. He didn't say all that you think you want. He said all that you need. You will abound in every good work. You'll do good works and they'll go better if you put God first ahead of your holding your money. And one man gives freely and gains more, another withholds duly and becomes poverty. Huh, that's just not the arithmetic of this world. I was working, is this really true? And then, <laughs> then he pulled out the big guns. And this was a specific Sunday. You know, I'm coming to church Sunday morning expecting a nice service, enjoying, going to enjoy the day. And I, I remember where I was sitting on Jefferson Street. And uh, he starts speaking, and here he goes again, talking about money. <laughs> Malachi, and he used this verse, Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Tithes? You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, so now I'm hearing on this Sunday morning, I'm supposed to give 10% of my 10%? And on top of that, offerings, too? I work hard for my money. He said, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty. Not Jim Almighty. The Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. <laughs> I, my eyes were being opened. Through all of this time, I was listening. I wanted to serve God. I knew I needed to draw close to God to find life to the full that's talked about in John 10.10. 10. But this was hard for me. You heard how I grew up and what I, that, that teenage girl that I was so attracted, attracted to, yet I wasn't, I didn't make her pay, but I didn't want to spend very much of my money. And now I didn't have much money and I'm expected to do this. I'm told I will win. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and if I'll throw open the gates, floodgates of heaven. At the end of that service, Pastor Johnson had us all stop and just pray to ourselves. So I prayed, Lord, <laughs> I, I'm hearing your word. I want to do, I want to be obedient to you. I want to put things in the right order. But Lord, I don't want to be foolish. I have a family to support. I have bills to pay. 
How can I? I want to trust you. I want to believe this, but is it true? I need to know. Give me some assurance. Help me to know. Because if this is true and it's what you would have me to do, I will trust you and I will do this. And in a moment, I can't explain it, but in my heart, in my spirit, and even in my mind, I knew <laughs> Jim is supposed to do this. So I went home that afternoon, got together with Carol, explained the experience I had, and she looked at me with those big blue eyes and smiled and said, yes, let's do that. And with that experience, I happened to realize her view of me, her respect and appreciation of me was raised just that much more. So we began tithing. I was still miserable in my work. We prayed for something better and in a way that involved a number of what I truly know to be miracles. We came across uh, a business opportunity, an employment agency franchise, uh, and, and we prayed about it, we researched it, and determined this is what God would have us do. The problem is we don't have any money. I have stock in a privately held company that has, who wants that stock? And in another series of events that I believe are miracles, circumstances were such that Angelo, it changed to where if he bought my 14%, he would suddenly own a majority interest for the first time in his company that he founded. Lord had created a motivated buyer. So we worked an arrangement. He bought the stock, paid me enough down, about half down, and the rest he was going to pay over five years. That enabled us to have the money that we could reasonably invest in this franchise, start the business. So we, I quit my job, turned in the company car, rented uh, inexpensive office space. Mr. Larry Sapp, a friend from church, still a friend from church. Hello, Larry. Helped me find that cheap office space rented used furniture, and prepared to go to Spokane, Washington for training, a week's training, Carol and I, to learn how to do this business we didn't know how to do. And so shortly before we were supposed to go, my phone rings. I was home alone. The phone rings. I answered the phone. It's the president of this company, this franchise company. He said, Jim, I, I don't know how to tell you this. We have a problem. Uh, Illinois is a state that requires that we apply for approval to sell franchises, and we did that, but we have not had gotten approval. It could take three, six months, a year maybe. We don't know when. And without that, we cannot sell you a franchise. And we cannot allow you to come to our training school. I said, you don't understand. I've quit my job. I've rented office space. I'm living out of savings. He said, I do understand, Jim, and I don't know what to say other than I'm sorry. And I hung up the phone. Oh, he also said, if you think of anything, feel free to call us back. I was by myself at home. I walked over to the sofa, laid down on my back, looked up to the ceiling, and I prayed, Lord, your word says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Lord, I'm in trouble, and I know you've led us to this. This is what we're supposed to do. I need an answer. So I closed my eyes, and I was quiet for just a moment. <laughs> and a thought came to me. This thought came to me. I sat up. I thought about it for a moment, got up, called them back. I said, did you say I cannot buy a franchise and come to your training school? 
He said, yes. Is it really a training school? Well, yes. Well, how about, could I pay you some tuition, not buy a franchise, pay you some tuition and come to your school? He said, that might work. Let me check. He called me back. He said, we cannot allow you to have any commitment, any obligation to ever buy a franchise. And we negotiated a tuition that was less than the franchise fee would have been. We went to the training school, came back, opened our business. That's a miracle of God. We, uh, we continued to tithe as if we were earning what I was earning in my salary. Uh, through that time, I was fearful I might, you know, I was going to have to tap into a line of credit. And I'm saying, Lord, I'm, I'm happy, pleased to be able to tithe from, even though we're not making money, from our savings, but I don't want to have to borrow money and tithe on that. And don't make, I don't want to have to make that decision, and we never did. We never, it, it turned, we never had to touch that. That's a miracle in 1980 when interest rates were 18%. And, uh, and so, um, three years into this, things were going pretty well. <laughs> some months were good, some were not so good. We couldn't count on it greatly, but things were going pretty well. And we, uh, uh, our, 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 our family, we had five of us now. Uh, they were growing, the, the three kids were growing. Our house was shrinking. It was an old house. We had friends who... Uh, who uh, they were buying new houses, bigger houses, and we started getting a, a case of the I wants. We would use the excuse, I need, but they were really I wants. And I would drive to work every day on Old Jacksonville Road, past a new subdivision, Kokima subdivision, the house was going up. It was, I think, maybe the first house in there, first or second. And I would drive by every day and see it going up, and say, ooh, that's a really nice house. That's really close to work. You know, Lord, we kind of need that, you know? And, uh, and so, uh, as it went up, when there was an open house, uh, the five of us went. We walked in that house, and we said, Carol and I were talking to each other, this is a new house. We've always wanted a new house. This is a two-story house. We've never lived in a two-story house, always wanted one. And then, I went to the second floor and went out the, the front bedroom and looked out the window, and in that subdivision, right outside our home, there was a flagpole, a flagpole with an American flag flying in the breeze. I said, Carol, Carol, look, there's a flag out there. I always wanted to get up in the morning and come out and see the flag. And she looked at me. She said, Jim, you've never said anything about one. I said, I know, I know, but wouldn't that be cool? We, I had the eye once for this thing, this house. And we did the arithmetic, and it was going to be tight. And we're going, I don't know. And we, we were, it was too uncertain, and we just didn't know. And and so we, we cooled down, and, but I still wanted that thing. I drove every day past that house, every day past that house. One day I'm driving past that house, and this thought comes to me. You know, Jim, with the money you give every month to that church, you can afford that house. I love that, the effect it had on me. It repulsed me. It made me angry. And I cried out, Lord, thank you for opening my eyes. Because if owning that house would tempt us to step away from the third key to financial freedom, as I came to understand it, 
being obedient to you with the finances you put in our hands, if it would tempt us to do that, I don't want that house. I want obedience to you with our finances more than anything. Listen, Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart. I had received over that six years of tithing a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's where I was, not because of me, but because of God working in me from the faith and the trust I'd put in him. So that's, that's kind of the message. Um, we didn't buy that house. Uh, I told Carol, she again smiled and said, you're right, we don't need that house, our house is fine. And uh, then about two weeks later, Angelo walked in my office early in the morning, just, I was the only one there. He walked in, sat down, had this unusual look on his face, kind of worried me. He said, Jim, you know, I've been paying you for three years as we agreed, and I've got two more years to go. And uh, I, I just want to know. And with that, he reached in, his, his expression changed to a grin. He reached in his pocket, pulled out his checkbook, and he said, if it'd be okay with you, if, if it's okay, I'd like to just pay that off right now if I could. With that, he wrote a $12,000 check. I shook his hand. He left. I couldn't wait for Carol to get to the office to share with her because the fact is we had two things to celebrate. With that $12,000, that would take away all the temptation of owning that house and stepping away from tithing. So we could buy that house if it was still available, and it was. We celebrated that. That was a gift from God. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so, and there's a second thing we celebrated, and this was, Carol said, and you know what else we can do Sunday? I said, what, go out to eat? You know, <laughs> no, we can write a check for $1,200, tithing on that 12000 And we celebrated that. <laughs> he had changed our hearts, my heart. I was suddenly, I realized, we're cheerful givers. It's amazing what God can do. So, there was a capital campaign in 1997 to help reduce debt at Calvary Church. I was privileged to serve as the director of that campaign. It came time to make pledges of, and we'd been, all been encouraged to pray what God would have us do above and beyond our regular giving to help accelerate the pay down of the mortgage on the church on Jefferson Street. And so we'd been praying and we were coming to a meeting where it was time to make our pledge. And I'd prayed some, Carol had, we hadn't been given a number, but so, so I'm, I'm the director of this thing, I'm, I, I guess I better get something figured out. So I did, and I came up with a number, and I was, as I thought about it and did my arithmetic, I'm, uh, that's, that's a good number. That's what we will pledge. And it's a generous number. I was kind of proud. And uh, the time came. One more time we were directed, take a moment, pray to yourselves, ask God what he would direct you to do. So I did. We did. 
a number came to me. It was twice the amount I had figured out. I went back to prayer. Lord, <laughs> please let this help me to know that this is you. I don't want to be foolish, but help me to know. Somehow let me know. And I looked over at Carol, and her eyes were kind of extra big. And she was a little shocked. And I walked up, Have you been praying? Yes. Did you get a number? Yes. I did. Whisper it in my ear. She did. You know the rest of the story. It was the same number that I had come up with. And we looked at each other and we cried. It was, we had, they were tears of joy because God is faithful and was faithful and gave us that number and gave us the courage, the confidence in Him. We knew we might have to adjust our lifestyle some. We might have to do something, but we did it. And then we made that pledge year and a half later, I'm at our annual conference, and uh, we have our franchise system, 400 locations at that time, 1999 it was, and uh, they would celebrate the highest volume offices. Now, we had done well for some time. We were always 10, 11, 12, maybe 9 in the top, and they would line us up at the end of the event to receive our awards, the top 25, and, and the 25th office came out first, and, and the number one office came out last. And, and, he, uh, and I had prayed, Lord, you know, thank you so much. for. I was very grateful, but, you know, I'd love to. I know I can't, we can't be number one in Springfield, Illinois. Others are in metro markets and bigger communities and not Illinois. And... and uh, but if there's any way we can make it in the top five. I mean, we don't need it, but it would sure be gratifying. That'd be wonderful. And so on that, shortly after making that commitment, we ended up, things had taken off. We didn't know where we would be. They lined us up, and Carol and I were at the back of the line. We were the number one office in the entire world of Express that year. And we had no problem meeting that obligation, and we celebrated. Now, here's where this message came from. I came home, and I was in my area where I would pray, and I was praying from a grateful heart because I wasn't worthy. I, wasn't, I didn't deserve this. And I prayed, Lord, why? Why do you bless us like this? I mean, I'm not that smart, and we're sure not perfect, and, and it's these three items he brought to my mind. Work hard, be a good worker. Don't spend money you don't have. You, Jim, you've not spent money you didn't have. You were careful to live within your means. And Jim, you've learned to become faithful to me, obedient to me with the finances. You no longer view it as your money, Jim. It's not my money. It's God's money. He's the creator of everything that ever was, everything that is, everything that ever will be. Whatever talents we might have, whatever skills we might have, whatever ability we may have to earn income, it's all His. He's the giver. He gives us 100% into our hands. And, and all He says is, put me first. 
put God first. Give me the first 10%, and then you choose what to do with the rest of it. He's the giver, and he helped me think about that, and then he flashed through my mind these events I've just shared with you. So, that's my story. That's our story of God's faithfulness and His greatness, His goodness. We have for you as you leave today, we have a handout. On one side are those three keys written out with a little more explanation. On the other side are the verses I've shared as well as a few more. And what I would ask you to do, encourage you to do, is I would ask you to take time, work through that information. It's a little card. It doesn't take a lot of time. But take the time and prayerfully over, you know, do a little bit every day. Read through those verses prayerfully and let God speak to you as He spoke to me about where money should be in its importance in your life and how you can achieve freedom in your finances and draw truly close to God and receive the promises He talks about in so many ways beyond money. I ask that you would do that. The ushers will have those as you leave. Let's pray. Father God, we just, uh, <laughs> I do thank you for the, the time we've had here. I, I pray that this has been exactly what you intended. I pray that the people here that hear, heard this, that they would receive what you want them to receive. And, they would be, that, and there, there are faithful believers, so many here, that I'm humbly honored to be able to speak and share with. But I just pray that you would work a miracle in every one of their lives as you did and as you have in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand with me, please. We've been talking about a healthy church and at the core of a healthy church our thinking, the thinking of the core of that church, the people in it, it has to change to see through God's perspective and God's involvement in our life. And this is one of those key areas. Uh, for some, that's, that, that becomes a real easy transition. And for others, that's a tough one. It can be even uh, tough inside of a family sometimes. But I want to encourage every one of you to, to listen uh, to these words Jim shared today. It's so easy uh, when a pastor gets up and share these, shares these kind of truths for people to think, well, he has a selfish motive. Well, Jim doesn't have any selfish motive here today. Jim is just one of our lay leaders in this church and comes and shares his heart with you. I know when I get up and share this, I know my, my heart is, I want you to be blessed as you've heard Jim talk about being blessed. And you will be if you'll put your trust in God. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come down to the front today. And uh, all of them, just all the prayer teams come on down right now. We're just going to, uh, it's, it's about 1020. Uh, we're going to uh, sing a song. And if you're going through a need in your life, you need the direction of God, you need the help of God, uh, just come on down and let one of these teams uh, pray with you. We believe prayer changes things. Father, I just pray, we've heard this, uh, this testimony today, uh, this great story, and we're thankful for how you moved in Jim and Carol's life, how you spoke to them. 
And Father, we believe there's others here at various stages of life that you want to speak that very thing to. You want them to find the freedom that comes in walking in obedience to you. And so we pray that, Father, even, even this week, as we walk through our Above and Beyond celebration Wednesday night, and uh, even as we, as we give this week, that there will be a new step of faith that will trust you and will give joyfully into your house, we pray. Now, Lord, as others have needs today, there's some here just need to get their heart right with you. Father, some who are going through physical needs or direction needs. Uh, Father, I pray that as we sing this, this song that they would just come and you would meet their need. But today, Lord, today, open our eyes that we would think rightly about all things. Specifically today, we pray that we would think rightly, Father, about the money you bless us with and what we're to do with it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. If you have a need, come on down. Let somebody pray with you, and then Dan will dismiss you in just a moment.